please turn with me to the Gospel of John. The text should be printed for you as well in your uh, bulletin and on the screen behind me as well. We come to a turning point in our study of the book of John because uh, this chapter begins the last week in Jesus' life. Uh, This begins the Passion Week. And what's interesting, it's as if John really slows down the tape here uh, in this last week of Jesus' life because it covers almost half the book. One week covers uh, nine chapters. And so uh, follow along with me as I read. This is John chapter 12. I'm going to look at verses, uh, verse, uh, chapter 11, 55 through 57, just to give us a feel of the context. Uh, and then we'll read 1 through 8 in chapter 12. This is God's word. Now the Passover of the Jews was at hand, and many went out went up from the country to Jerusalem before the Passover to purify themselves. They were looking for Jesus and saying to one another as they stood in the temple, What do you think? That he will not come to the feast at all? Now the chief priests and the Pharisees had given orders that if anyone knew where he was, he should let them know so that they might arrest him. Remember, a couple of weeks ago, we looked at this is flowing out of the scene with Lazarus. And as I mentioned, you don't raise a guy who's been dead for four days, his body decomposing, raise him from the dead and not get any heat. <laughs> so the heat's been turned all the way up on Jesus, and the religious establishment wants to get their hands on him so that they can kill him. Chapter 12, six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead, so they gave a dinner for him there. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at table. Mary, therefore, took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, and this is what John inserts in parentheses, he who was about to betray him said, why, this, why was not this anointment sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? And he said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. Having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. And Jesus said, leave her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For the poor you will always have with you, but you do not always have me. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our Lord stands forever. Let's pray and ask God to help us this morning through his spirit. Father, you tell us that your word is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. You tell us that it's useful for teaching, correcting, and training in all righteousness. And we pray that you would come and make your word come alive to us this morning. Remove distractions, maybe that we're experiencing. Help us to engage so that these would be life-giving words. Challenging words, of course, but very life-giving as well. Help us to see Jesus in this passage. Um, Melt our hearts with the goodness of our Savior. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I want to begin this morning with a question 
And the question is this, what do you treasure? Really treasure. What is it in your life that you really treasure? It really is true when the Bible says in Matthew chapter 6, for where your heart is, or for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. We see that lived out everywhere, don't we? If you just stop and think about it for a second. People will do anything and everything to get their treasure. Think about a college athlete. Think about the things that they do to their body in order to get the treasure of a national championship. Coaches. I'm always amazed that final interview after winning the national championship, they're like, yeah, this is great, and we'll celebrate this for 24 hours. <laughs> Won a national championship. But in the morning, we got to hit the road, and we got to start recruiting. <laughs> That's crazy. You will do anything for your treasure. We see it with students, long hours and countless years of school in order to get the treasure of a degree. But we know that our treasure can also make us do some really evil things too, right? The co-worker, your friend who stabs you in the back in order to get the treasure of a certain position in the company. Or the person in the company who does something that they never thought they would do in their life and they start to steal from the company. Why? Because they've got to get their treasure. They've got to get their treasure of money. And sometimes our treasure leads us to do really outlandish crazy things. For example, one of my favorite all-time illustrations, several years ago in the Chicago Tribune, there was this Brazilian artist by the name of Marcio Del Silva. He was a love-struck Brazilian artist, and he was distraught over the ending of his four-year-old relationship with the love of his life, his treasure. And he wanted to win back his treasure, and so he did the unthinkable. In an extreme act of devotion, he got down on his knees and walked nine miles to her house. Somewhere along the way, his knees were a bloody mess, as you might imagine. He gets some car tires that had been blown out on the side of the road, straps them to his knees, and continues his love walk. This is a spectacle. It was on national news. People are rolling down their windows, cheering him on. They're over overpasses with signs hanging down cheering on Del Silva and his love walk, so to speak. Fourteen hours later, he finally arrives at her house. She heard that he was coming, and she intentionally left the house so that she would not have to see him. People will do outlandish things to show and reveal and to get what they truly treasure. That's what we see here in John chapter 12. We see two people. We see Mary and Judas, and they both have something that they treasure, but their treasures lead them to do something very different. They both respond in very different ways. Mary treasures something that will lead to life and to fulfillment and to joy and to satisfaction. Judas, he treasures something but it leads to betrayal and to his eventual, eventual, eventual death. There it is. Uh, eventual death. Three things in this passage we're going to look at this morning. We see a warning, if you're a note taker. We see worship. And we see the way to treasuring Jesus above everything else. Let's look at number one, the warning. 
Look at verses 4 through 6. I'll talk more about this in the next point. Uh, But in the middle of this dinner party, Mary gets up and she goes to Jesus and she has this very expensive ointment or perfume and she pours every single bit of it out on the feet of Jesus. We'll talk more about that in a minute. But now let's let's focus on Judas and on his response here. And when he sees this happening, Judas is like, whoa, what a waste. Wait a minute now, that's really expensive. And we could have made a lot of money off that, and we could have also, even better, given some of that to the poor. At first glance, that doesn't doesn't seem really that odd. We want to give this to the poor. That sounds like a good thing. Let's think about this just for a second, because I think this is very important for us to consider. Who is Judas? Think about who Judas is, not what you think of him right now. Let's think about, in this context, Judas is one of Jesus' closest friends. Look at verses 4 and verse 6. And I love those verses because it's John's commentary. John's adding uh, this for us, the reader, and he... If you really feel what's happening here, this is really, it seems like what John is saying. We didn't see this coming. We didn't see this coming at all because Judas hadn't done anything or said anything or acted out of character. We would have never thought Judas was going to sell out Jesus. We just simply thought he was one of us. We hear the name of Judas And we think like he, you know, because we watch movies and TV shows, and we think he's kind of lurking in the shadows uh, at a distance, keeping Jesus at arm's length, just waiting to sell him out and to betray him. We think of his arms crossed, scowl on his face, uh, you know, a real deep hatred uh, for Jesus. But see, he wasn't any different than any of the other disciples. And how do I know? Because there's this amazing, really a sobering passage in Mark chapter 14, right after this account of Mark's account of this story. It says that Jesus was sitting at a table with his disciples. This is amazing. With his disciples, and he looks at them because Jesus is not all-knowing because he's God, and he says, one of you is going to betray me. And they all said, and they pointed at Jesus and says, it's him. (laughs) No. You know what they said? Is it me? Is it me? They thought Jesus was talking about them because they knew they had the capacity of betraying Jesus. You see, Judas didn't look different than any of the other disciples or any of the other of Jesus' friends. And so what does this teach us? Well, it teaches us, friends, that the barrier to really treasuring and adoring Jesus is not out there. It's in here. It's actually inside you. It's in your heart. And in our hearts, we either bow down and worship and adore and treasure Jesus or we use Jesus and sell him out. And you see, this is a subtle warning for us this morning. And boy, is it a subtle warning. Because at first glance, like I said, it doesn't appear like Judas 
is using Jesus because he's saying, hey, let's give Jesus some, but let's take some of it and let's give it to the poor. No one at that dinner party would have objected to that because it did not sound like betrayal. So what is the problem? How is this betraying Jesus? Well, you see, to betray Jesus means that you follow him only until it costs you something. And Judas, you see, another way of saying this is his real God was power and money and a comfortable life. Judas liked Jesus. And he was willing to follow him only until it cost him. But you see, Judas did not want Jesus messing with his life. He didn't want Jesus asking him to change something or to sacrifice anything. And when he bumped up against someone like Mary who said, I'm all in. I will give you everything. It was a little too much for Judas. A little too radical, a little over the top, because that put Jesus way too up close and personal in his life. And Judas was the kind of guy that wanted to keep Jesus at arm's length and give him the stiff arm. You can come, but only this close, because I don't want you disrupting my life. See how subtle that is? It's very subtle. You see, Judas says, we can give Jesus some of it, but not all of it. The rest we will give to the poor. In other words, Jesus, I like you, but I can't be all in. And we know what really was behind Judas's heart because of John's commentary. Look at it. Why did G- Judas wanted to, why did he want to keep some of it? Not to give it to the poor. He wanted it for himself because he was a thief. He was the keeper of the money bag. You see, friends, this morning, whatever it is that you don't pour out, that's your real treasure. That's what you really worship. So what is it this morning that you haven't poured out for Jesus? What's left in your jar where you are saying, Jesus, I will pour some of it out, but not all of it. What's left in the jar where Jesus is coming to you and saying, I want you to surrender this. And you white knuckle and clench fist and gritted teeth say, no. Everything but this. This is mine. Maybe, as I think is an application from the story, maybe Jesus is coming and messing with your money. Maybe he's messing with your comfortable lifestyle. And he says, I want that. I want you to start being generous. And I want you to start giving your money away. And with clenched fist, you say, no. Everything but this. See, whatever it is for, the, for us this morning, with that we're not pouring out, that's our real treasure. That's what we're really devoted to. Can we talk? This is probably the hardest passage that I've had to preach in the Gospel of John, hands down. Because Jesus is wanting to mess with my life. And I know you think, as your pastor, this might disappoint some of you. 
And if it does, I'm really sorry, but I'm no different than you. The only difference is for whatever reason, and I had no idea when I was younger that God would call me to do this, but he has. And so I am called to faithfully stand up and preach the gospel of Jesus Christ every Sunday to you. But friends, that does not mean that I'm different than you. I have things in my life that I am white-knuckling right now and through gritted teeth saying everything Jesus but this. And so here's what I want you to hear. This is not you. This is me. This is us. And so I need you to pray for me as your pastor. I want to pray for you. And I want us to pray for one another because I long for us to be a church that says we're in this together. And a church where we come and we say, Jesus, I want to pour everything out. I want us to be a church that pours it all out, everything out of our jar, our money and our resources and our time, so that when Jesus calls us to do something, we say anytime, any place, anywhere. Because Jesus really is that good and he is that worthy. See, the only difference in Judas and us It's not that he fell and we don't, because the reality is we're all just like him. The difference is what Judas did with his failure and with his clenched fist. You see, we have a place to go with our clenched fist. And it's the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's Jesus. And with clenched fist, we should go to him and say, Jesus, this feels like death to me. Does it feel like death to give up something? Man. We need to say, Jesus, this feels like death. And if I'm ever going to surrender this, that I think you're calling me to surrender, I need you to help me. Please come and help me do what I can't do on my own. First point. Second point. Worship. When you read this passage, and again, this is with lots of passages, I think, in the Bible, or at least it's my experience. You know, there's a few anointings in the Gospels And so it's really easy to miss how crazy this is. (laughs) Because this is way more Pentecostal and charismatic than it is Presbyterian, what this lady does, what what Mary does. But it's good for us because we, we need this to push us, I think. That there was something in Jesus that made her act kind of crazy. Because he was worthy and good. Look at verse 1. Six days before Passover. And so... This is the beginning of the week before Jesus dies. And so, isn't it interesting that this is the way John starts? Out of all the things he could include, he includes this passage with Mary in this worship and devotion of hers. And if you remember, we were talking about Lazarus a few weeks ago. And so, Jesus is in town, and Mary and Martha and Lazarus have Jesus over. And so, this is a resurrection party. This is a dinner party. So they're celebrating Lazarus, but they're also trying to thank Jesus as well for what he's done. When somebody rises from the dead, we we eat. (laughs) We pull out the casseroles. We throw a dinner party. What else would we do? And in the middle of that, Mary gets up and she walks over to Jesus. Think about how awkward this would have been. And she takes, this would have been a liter and a half, so think a two-liter Coke almost. And she starts pouring it on Jesus. And here we, say, we hear that she poured it on Jesus' feet. But in Mark 14, it says that she poured it on Jesus' head. So what's the point? The point is, and all scholars agree, she poured it all over him. 
She's dousing Jesus with this perfume, a liter and a half worth of very expensive perfume. She did it because it was a sign of devotion and worship. And then she wipes his feet with her hair. Three things that I think really bring out the power of what she's done here. And the first one is that she washes his feet. Back then, that always fell on the lowliest person in the household. No one wanted to be around stinky, dirty feet. When it came to Jesus, Mary didn't mind. Because nothing was below her when it came to Jesus. There's nothing that she would not do because Jesus was that worthy. But we also see that she let down her hair. That was socially unacceptable. That was considered scandalous and would have been hard on your reputation. She didn't care. She didn't care for Jesus. She let her hair down because there was something so beautiful about Jesus that she didn't care what people thought about her as long as she got to be near him. And then the perfume, it was costly. It was a year's wages, 300 denarii. That would be like today, someone walking into Jesus and putting $45,000 at his feet. This is more than likely her uh, retirement. This is her 401k. But it was worth it because Jesus was worth it, because Jesus was beautiful. And this is such a good picture for us as we think about what it means to treasure Jesus. Because what it means to treasure Jesus is that nothing is below you when it comes to him. You're willing to make yourself uncomfortable and do the lowliest thing for him. You're willing to be considered weird and to lose your reputation because you're so committed to him. And you're willing to give things away like crazy because he is totally worth it. And Judas comes and he says, no, 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 no. That's a little too over the top. And so treasuring Jesus means that you don't pull back when someone says you're being too radical because nothing stands in the way of you worshiping Jesus because he is worthy. And so if you're a believer this morning in Jesus, have you ever loved Jesus so much? Loved him so much that you acted in a certain way in a situation or talked in a certain way or the way you spent your time or your generosity made someone around you say, Man, whoa, you're a little over the top. You're too much of a Jesus freak for me. Has that ever happened in your life? See, if that's never happened, it's because we still have something in our jar. We still have something that we are not pouring out. Thirdly, and lastly, because this is terrible news until this point, <laughs> or hard news. Look at verses 7 through 8. Jesus says, leave her alone. She's doing a good thing. She's anointing me for my burial. The poor you will always have with you, but you will not always have me. You see, Jesus is praising Mary for her actions because she has uh, put Jesus above everything else. 
Jesus is not saying here, do not serve the poor. What he is communicating is that the richness of his death and what it would bring is way more important, and Mary realized that. But here's the irony. Mary's gift really was a gift for the poor, wasn't it? As you see, on this particular day and on this particular week, oh yes, Jesus, he was the poorest man in all of Bethany. You see, Mary knew that because she'd listened to Jesus and she had heard him teach and she understood what was going to happen. And so she was anointing him for his burial because she saw Jesus just days before his crucifixion as one who would indeed become poor so that you and I this morning could become rich. Let me ask you a question. Who's the most treasured person in the story? Who's the most treasured person in the passage? And it's easy to look at this passage and say, well, of course, Jesus is the most treasured person in the passage because we see Mary pouring out her 401k on Jesus, and so he was worth it. He was who is really being treasured in the story. But believe it or not, Jesus is not the most treasured person in the story. You are. You are. How do we know? Because think about it. Friends, Jesus would give a whole lot more than his 401k. At the end of this week, Jesus would give his life. Jesus would be crucified for you this morning. That's what it would cost him. And that's what we need to walk away with this morning. If you don't hear anything else, please hear this. The application of this this morning is not go out and try harder. You need to be more devoted. Do we? Of course we do. But that's not the message. The message is not like, come on, try, do better, try harder. I, that's the way I've lived most of my life. Do that and it lasts, if at best, two weeks. The message this morning, we need to leave here seeing that Jesus poured out his jar for us. Jesus poured out everything that was in his jar so that he could have the joy of being with you. You see, that's what's going to lead to lasting change. Is when we grasp that at a heart level. There was a woman by the name of Helen Rosenveer. She was from Belfast, Ireland. Highly educated from Cambridge. She was a very skilled surgeon. And she eventually ended up becoming a missionary uh, to the Belgian Congo. But she grew up and her whole life was spent really asking this question as she uh, says it. If significant things and small things, she asked the question, is it worth it? Should I take this college class? Is it worth it? Somebody asked her out on a date, is it worth it? Goes to Barnes & Noble looks at a book, wants to buy it, is it worth it? Gymnastics, do I need to take gymnastics? Is it worth it? She became a Christian in high school, went off to college, and heard uh, a speaker at this college uh, Christian conference, and he starts talking about missions, and he challenged many of the, mission, uh, the students there to give their life away to missions for the rest of their life. She asked the question, is it worth it? She decided that it was, and so 
she moved to the Belgian Congo in Africa and was there for 11 years doing missionary work. She was working with children that had leprosy, and she built schools for them and organized uh, hospitals. She was a doctor herself, and she uh, organized churches, all sorts of things. It was an amazing work. And then in 1964, there was an uprising within the government, the Belgian government there. And so they came to the village that she was in, and they burned down the hospital. They destroyed the school. They went into her bungalow, and they totally ransacked it. They kicked her teeth in, as she describes it. They tore her glasses off so that she could not hear or see where the next blow was coming from. And then they... uh, Uh, took her out to the middle of the village and they tied her to a tree and then they went and got her journal and her journal was basically 11 years of writings. She had been journaling all the things that God had done and she was going to turn this into a book and so it was in a sense her life in this book and they took it and they got right in front of her face and they lit the book on fire. And so she's watching this book burn, and through gritted teeth, all she could say was, is it worth it? Is it worth it? Is it worth it? And then she says, it was as if the Holy Spirit came upon her and met her, and in that moment, she realized that she had been asking the wrong question her entire life. And that the question was not, is it worth it? But the question is, is he worthy? Is he worthy? And she says, as she is in this terrible scene, she says, Jesus was worthy of every sacrifice. And she looks up at those men and she says, the Lord Jesus Christ is worthy. You see, it was when that she poured everything out. That's when she got the real treasure. And so how does that happen? How did that happen? It's when she realized that Jesus was worthy of every sacrifice. It's when she realized that Jesus, he was worthy because Jesus had sacrificed everything for her. He had poured everything out on her behalf. And to the degree that you and I this morning see how much Jesus has poured out for us, is to the degree that we will be able to pour out our jar for him. You see, when we realize how much Jesus has poured out for us, and he asks us to come and pour out our jar, we won't do it begrudgingly. But we will do it gladly because of what the Savior has done on our behalf. Let's pray. Father, whatever is in our jar this morning, those things are hard to give up because this treasure feels like life to us. I know some here this morning to think about giving something up even sounds a little insane. And so I pray that you would come and you would free us by the power of your spirit and help us to find life and to be willing to pour it all out so that we could have the glory of being near to you and knowing you more intimately. 
Help us to really know now, as we come to the table this morning, you've given us a very visible picture of how much you have poured out for us. Drive that deep into our heart. In Jesus' name, amen.